Welcome to Inspiration in Adaptation. I'm Asia Freeman, the Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center, and it's our, um, our honor to continue offering a series of dialogues that allow us to explore and respond to the ways that artists are innovating and adapting during COVID-19, during this re recession, this planetary um, environmental crisis and this immense human rights movement that's taking place. I'm interested in exploring how artists are finding agency. <clears throat> what ways are artists responding and adapting and um, essentially creating agency during these times. So with me today are Tamara Wilson and uh, Jimmy Reardon. Tamara is in Fairbanks and Jimmy's in, in Anchorage, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, Let's just start out by um, by um, offering, you know, a brief kind of um, biographical um, sketch of, um, you know, what you're doing as an artist. What is your practice like? And I'll start with you, Tamara. Uh, so my practice, um, well, I'm a studio artist in Fairbanks, and I make a lot of uh, a lot of pieces out of remnant materials, and that's sort of, uh, you know, gone into the lemonade stand. It's definitely a remnant material that's been, been reused. And uh, I got my MFA from the University of New Mexico, and then after a brief um, residence in, uh, in Los Angeles, I decided to come home and build a studio here. So that's sort of what I've been up to the last four years back in Fairbanks, building a studio, and then and then now the lemonade stands building that. Excellent. And, and Jimmy, tell us a little bit about yourself, orient us to, to who you are in your practice as an artist. Yeah, so I was born here in Anchorage and I think sort of similarly, I've left and come back a few times, um, the most recently a couple years ago. And my practice is kind of all over the place. I, it tends to be less about like a particular medium or whether I have a studio or not and more to do with kind of like I don't know, like I'm more recently thinking in terms of like serendipity, like things kind of seeming like the appropriate time to do or um, or just where the the form kind of follows the um, the desired like message or the desired outcome. Um, so it's kind of, again, my work's been all over the board. We've worked with like augmented reality, earth building, translation. Right now I'm working on a bookmobile project, which I'll talk about and then doing a lot of work out in Bethel kind of around arts education and then like music preservation and archiving. But yeah, I'm back in Anchorage. Okay. And let, yeah, let's just segue right into the Bookmobile project and then we'll go to, to tomorrow's project. What, what is the Bookmobile? So like I said, I just moved back to Alaska two years ago. Um, and for the first um, year of that, I had my print studio. I have, I'm, kind of printmaking and bookbinding has always kind of followed me along. Um, if I have ever had a studio, it's a print studio of some sort. And so I had this studio set up in Pittsburgh where I had been living. And a year after moving back to Alaska, um, I had to either bring it home or um, sell it because it had been um, spending time in friends' garages and basements. And so at a certain point, you know, you got to get rid of it. And so I was looking around for a vehicle to potentially transport my print studio to Alaska. And at the same time, the Allegheny Library Association was retiring a 20-year-old bookmobile. 
So every 20 years they retire them no matter what their condition is. And in a strange way, that bookmobile became the most practical way to move my things from Pittsburgh to Alaska because it could carry the weight. The price was right. I mean, the gas ended up being expensive. But, um, but I kind of undertook that. So over two different trips, I drove the bookmobile from Pittsburgh to Seattle and then Seattle to Anchorage. And along the way, became more and more attached with the vehicle as a space. It's kind of like built like a sailboat or something. It's really well built on the inside. Um, and we, you know, run into people at gas stations that had been affected by bookmobiles in their childhood. You know, they remembered when they'd come to their neighborhood. And people at the parks were really generous with letting us park. And um, anyway, just like the sort of energy that the bookmobile um, seemed to elicit made me think over that trip about what it would be like to keep it a bookmobile in Alaska as opposed to converting it into a food truck or a camper or selling it to someone. Um, I guess because I didn't know that there were bookmobiles in Alaska. There definitely was not one in Anchorage when I was growing up, but I know there is one in Homer and we got to see the old retired one in Fairbanks. So maybe it's just more an Anchorage thing that there were no bookmobiles. Um, which maybe when I was younger made sense because there were a lot more libraries, but now Anchorage has really cut down on the number of libraries that exist in the city. Um, it's pretty limited access. So, so yeah, right now with the bookmobile, I'm kind of reimagining what a bookmobile could be as sort of an artist run venue, like how feasible it is to get the community to get involved in that project as opposed to it being completely like self-driven by me. Um, and like how to modify and update it without like losing the original, um, vehicle and, um, but make it like, I don't know, like tweak it. So it's more suitable to, again, this place and this environment. And I would say as far as COVID-19 is concerned, um, it's just making me have to rethink a lot of what I had thought I understood, you know, about what that would look like over the course of last winter. So anyway, that's yeah. a kind of brief project. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Tomorrow, what's a description um, that that can uh, sufficiently embrace the lemonade stand? Tell us. Okay. Well, the lemonade stand, um, it's an old trailer. It's a 65 travel trailer that I found um, outside of Fairbanks at Summit Lake. It's like a little over 100 miles south of here, uh, past Delta. And it's, I'm transforming it, or I guess I've transformed it into a mobile art space. And uh, so now I thought I only needed like a new roof and um, boy was I wrong. So I just had to demo the entire thing and rebuild it. And now it has sheetrock walls, LED lighting, um, scotch tie carpet on the ceiling, which you can see behind me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, some added ridiculous LED lighting on the outside because it's mobile, so have to. And, um, and so the immediate goal of TLS is to provide a space uh, in Fairbanks for artists um, to experiment and show their work. And it's just, it's just, uh, just operating in the summer season for now. And long term, I would really love this gallery to be a complement to an art residency that I would like to start in Fairbanks as well. Um, on a place that's slightly out of town. And so the artists would be able to work within the gallery and then we could move it to town to so people could see it and then the mission i mean just kind of being able to bring 
the trailer that that has art in it wherever you know wherever it can go by road or by ferry to kind of like open up um the art community and grow the community yeah jimmy what would you describe i mean i really love how tamara sort of created a mission for the the lemonade stand do you feel like you formulated a mission for the bookmobile um a loose one yeah so again my my notion was that i would try to bring people together from the anchorage community and let um let us kind of determine what it would become more kind of communally or democratically and so we had this last winter after like sort of a little bit of publicity and a fundraising effort i started having these regular meetings where anybody could show up and we we're doing it in this space called the anchorage community house um and so we're starting to get various parties involved so it's like there's the bookmobile has kind of a million different possibilities for what it could be right everybody's got a different idea from like puppet theater to music venue to you know the power source for a drive-in movie or um anyway so i was starting to have these meetings and figure out who was going to get involved and so that's where all this sort of quarantining because the only way i really know how to gather people is around things like potlucks and in person um i've actually had a very difficult time with this digital like like having the, this digital kind of community replace an in-person one. And so, so yeah, so the mission was really to see what happens and see if there was interest and see if um, it could kind of move itself. And now I've, I've kind of shifted on that. Sorry, being outside near the airport. Um, I've kind of shifted on that to start thinking about um, ways in which the bookmobile can um, sort of more immediately serve um, kind of a community of people that maybe doesn't have as much access to things like internet and phone. Like I don't have Wi-Fi. I'm stealing it. I'm outside stealing it from somebody else's source, right? So I can't Zoom except for as a voice if I'm at home. And a lot of people in like the neighborhood I'm in don't have um, internet. And so I'm thinking about different ways that the bookmobile can, while obeying social distancing rules, can create like some level of engagement in public places. So we're looking a lot right now at youth programming and ways of using, like I have a radio transmitter now. So ways of using like sort of pirated FM stations and old outdated like video monitors and sort of like this absurd setups to maintain social distancing while at the same time being in the same space. So like, I guess short answer is no, I don't really have a clear mission. <laughs> But um, long answer is like it's it's sort of shifting, and I'm hoping that it that we get back to a point where people can, can gather um, in person because one big important part for me was not having it just be people that were already within my network that drove the project, and it's really difficult to invite strangers, especially strangers that you don't even know to invite, to join you in like an online setting where you can say there's going to be free food anybody can show up it's in this public space um we just want you you don't have to say anything we just want you to listen and if you have any idea you know it's a lot easier to get people you don't know to um to attend that sort of space mm -hmm. so anyway thank you yeah there, there's a kind of a fascinating and interesting element of kind of like the mad max or a certain kind of pirate behavior going on here with um <laughs> capturing <laughs> Wi-Fi and um, 
you know, utilizing um, equipment considered obsolete. From the beginning, you mentioned that Allegheny Library was decommissioning this bookmobile, and they just do so every 20 years, no matter what, you said. Yeah, yeah, it's budgeted in, so every 20 years they get a new bus and retire the old one. They've so had the, this fleet in the late 40s. I love the kind of response to this idea of obsolescence, you know, in, a, in, a, um, in an object, in a, in a um, you know, vehicle that's apparently in pretty good condition. Did you have to do much to really fix it up? Was it ready to oh, go? Nothing, nothing really. I mean, all of it's kind of cosmetic and like maintenance. The, the engine and that stuff, like there's not, I didn't have to do any work. I had to fix the parking brake at one point. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it is, it is interesting because when, when talking to the mechanic before purchasing it, because I was buying it from Alaska, I mean, he walked through the whole thing. It had, you know, it had been kept in a garage and it had been maintained and like, um, it had been like sort of tuned up every year. It went to the same mechanics, it, you know, um, and he had been working at that place for about 20 years. So this bookmobile and him had shared like the entirety of his career at the garage. So it, it had obviously been well cared for. Like when I showed up to pick it up the first morning I was leaving Pittsburgh, he was there before me. I know I got there at 8 a.m. and he had gotten there in time before me to top off all the fluids and make, you know, like if he, he was sort of like a, a quote unquote tough guy, but I feel like if he was a little bit less macho, he probably would have been crying, you know? Mm. It's like hiding his tears. I love that your act of, um, of faith in purchasing this thing from a distance was met by this, this sort of stewardship of this long-term, you know, this vehicle with this man over a long time. And so you could really know that you were getting something in good repair. Yeah, well, they wanted to see pictures of it on the Alcan. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Tamara, the, the, uh, the lemonade stand apparently needed a great deal more work than you even envisioned when you started getting into that. Yeah, well, I didn't want to destroy a travel trailer or something that, you know, could still be used for its function. Uh, so I was looking for something kind of dilapidated, and uh, I got exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I was looking for a, something affordable as well, so, or free. <laughs> and, and to that, you bring a lot of experience in carpentry and um, remodeling. Yeah, so, I mean, that is, I knew that I'd have to do that, um, and so, and that, and that process is really enjoyable for me anyway, and especially throughout Fairbanks winter, so I was really, you know, that, that challenge did not, um, didn't push me away from it. If anything, it probably made me more into the project, just because, you know, it's a challenge that you have to deal with, and focus my energy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You mentioned that you feel like this mobile platform might invite or access audiences that may not otherwise be engaged. What is it that you are trying to invite that you feel like is missing from the art ecosystem in Fairbanks through the lemonade stand? Well, um, what's missing, I mean, I could probably talk about that for a long time, but I don't want to be too, too pessimistic. Um, one thing that's been really interesting about the the shift that originally we were going to open in May and the shift of, uh, you know, the coronavirus um, shutting things down is I've opened it up originally as like a virtual gallery and that has immediately established this really great bridge between 
sort of my different worlds and my different art communities. So I've been able to feature artists from grad school. And so bringing, you know, bringing artists who uh, don't, I mean, we don't have a bunch of money to be flying our work around the world and visiting on a whim. And so now they're showing their work in a sense, at least showing their work in Fairbanks. So immediately just bringing new work to Fairbanks is um, so critical. And, um, but then having access to different forms of art. I mean, we, I think Fairbanks is super supportive of the arts, um, definitely, and of their own art though. So um, Fairbanks artists are super well supported by Fairbanks people and they come out and see everyone, but we don't have a venue that doesn't have the overhead costs and burden to be able to show work that doesn't require or doesn't have the pressure of selling to be able to keep it sustainable. So. The lemonade stand doesn't have any overhead. I mean, all of the costs are pretty much, you know, they've, they've been spent. And um, so artists can come in and do installation work, do video work, do poetry, do what, I mean, anything that they feel like they want to experiment with or express and not have that, yeah, not without any expectation. And so I think that's what it really brings to Fairbanks that we don't, we don't have because it's just, there's, it's just too expensive to have it. And so we remove that, that whole issue. So you're saying that it's cost savings, but also you're speaking to a certain kind of insularity where Fairbanks is good at supporting its own, but maybe not porous or permeable to outside work and voices. Yeah, I always reference, I mean, it's like this weird, um, we have like a Fairbanks amnesia <laughs> where nothing really exists out we're an island <laughs> nothing exists outside of Fairbanks in in many ways and so um, it's not that people don't want to support outside work or they don't want to be part of the greater art dialogue but I think that there's just so much um, that we're dealing with here that feels so removed that people just they don't, they don't take that initiative to connect outside many times. And so the lemonade stand can sort of bring that into their comfort zone and maybe sort of trick them into, um, into thinking about different, I don't know, different forms of work and different forms of artists. Like not every artist wants to be a gallery artist. Not every person knows they, they want to show their work in a gallery. So it's, you know, it's accessing a whole different kind of viewer and participant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of things like, you know, the Astor Gates erecting a um, temporary wooden sort of temple-like structure, you know, in out in front of um, the Tate, so that people who might feel intimidated about going inside create or have this sort of portal of access, you know, they're performing, mm -hmm. they're, they're signing up to use it however they like. So you're talking about writers being involved or poets giving a reading or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I this um, so far this summer, I have sort of more of a traditional show right now just to kind of get people um, to come out and see it and, and uh, feel like they are a part of it. But then the next shows, the next one I'm working with a, with a flower farmer um, who is definitely an artist. I mean, she, she grows these beautiful flowers and arranges them and thinks about so many different aspects that, in a way that only an artist would. So she'll be using the space to um, to display flowers, and then after that, working with uh, the soup kitchen in town, and working with kids and carving. And so, um, yeah, it's 
it's already like you know and, and then hopefully soon we'll have more people interested and more people who maybe want to do a poetry reading or some some other you know some other form so not just strictly the traditional definition of visual art by any means and so um, oh, oh sorry me. go ahead jimmy i'm just excited about the spoon show sorry yeah, the Spoon Show. I know I am excited about the Spoon Show. Tell us <laughs> about the Spoon Show. <laughs> so, um, so in September, um, uh, there's a, another artist in town, Jesse Hensel, and he's curating. Um, I don't have the title memorized. It's very long, and it, but in it it says International Spoon Show, and so he wants to collect as many um, hand carved utensils. I mean, I don't know, maybe they're only spoons, but in my mind, I feel like there's some other carved utensils in there, but primarily spoons. And then he'll just display them all over the walls and, um, you know, all of their different sizes and forms and whatever. And so it will just be spoons everywhere. And then it will be outside of the soup kitchen, uh, bread line in town. So, you know, there's, that'll be wonderful too, because hopefully people will be having soup without a spoon and they'll be like, I need to buy a spoon. And then they can <laughs> eat the soup with their new spoon. So wonderful. <laughs> but you're, you're also talking about then bringing in outside curators and um, yes. that's a really, yeah. I mean, I, as far as like an art space, in my mind is concerned. It's not just uh, you know, it's fluid. It's whatever it needs to be, whether that's, so it's not just my idea. You know, I have, there's like, now there's a vessel to like advocate for, and to get people to want to be involved with, whether that's showing their art or curating a show or donating money, like there's a thing that can now kind of drive all of that and then it can just move around and maybe if it does collect money, it can support someone who doesn't have the money for the idea they want to make or whatever. It can now, that space can now just be available beyond my own concept of it. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the adaptations that you've made because of the pandemic and then how, you know, how the pandemic is affecting sort of the mobility of the lemonade stand and what your future vision is in terms of movement. Um, well, so as I mentioned before, doing the virtual show, that was definitely a, uh, just a reaction to not being able to open on location in May. This idea of the lemonade stand first came about last summer, or first like came into clarity last summer when we had all the extreme state budget cuts to the arts. And so I knew I was looking for something that was, you know, that I could build and maintain and that was mobile and could connect different communities. And then um, over the winter working on it with the, uh, with the restrictions put in place to keep everyone safe from the virus, I wasn't able to access to work on it um, all the time. So because I had I was working on it in a space whose owner is a high risk category so that so I had this project time kind of laid out in my own studio schedule and so then um, that started morphing uh, how I wanted to display the work here and then ultimately that led to doing the the virtual shows on an iPad so I like physically put the piece the virtual piece in the space photograph it and then um, and then feature works from outside. So that so that changed the the wasn't going to be a virtual component to this initially. So I added that. And then instead of uh, being able to travel across the state, I mean it was probably a little over ambitious this first summer anyway. So it sort of took away that um, 
that desire, that ability. So focused me more on just Fairbanks community, which is also very good. I mean, I think I need to get the trust of Fairbanks before I start running to Anchorage, <laughs> you know, and bring in everything to Homer. Um, so, so it's been good to hone in um, what we're doing, what I'm doing this summer with the space. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Jimmy, what is going on inside the bookmobile right now? What are you, what are you presently working on? Yes. So one thing actually to kind of pick up where tomorrow was leaving off, I remember we had spoken when we met up about the idea that these small spaces actually are pretty effective when it comes to implementing social distancing rules, right? Like that you can limit, it's really easy to limit the number of people that enter a really small space, right? Like so you can have them wear their masks, have people wear gloves or wash their hands or use some sort of disinfectant and then go in in small groups, either like individuals or I think we were talking about like family units or the group you came with and then nobody else goes in until they go out. And that actually kind of like also increases the intimacy of how they experience that space. So I think that um, they're actually pretty well suited for that, um, if even if unintentionally, but that the the issue becomes like the issue that I run into is that um, these mobile spaces also seem to like work best when they're sort of piggybacking on existing mm -hmm. spaces and activities, you know, like where you show up someplace where there's a built in group, like, a, like for me, I was thinking a lot in terms of parks or like an Anchorage could think in terms of the, um, the first Friday walks or you could, like the museum has their lunch on the lawn or you know that, that i could like but um and when those things aren't happening then it is like well where do you where do you set up and how do you promote um what you're doing but as far as what's going on in the bookmobile right now i just finished the first of what we're calling sort of a quarantine tour jokingly <laughs> um i've been doing a lot of repairs on the bookmobile in my driveway in front of my house and kind of crossed my mind that with this like lack of tourism the roads and the campgrounds are really really empty so Mike Conti and I he's part of like my pod or like quarantine right so we early on chose a couple families in Anchorage that we still interact with at my household anyway so him and I went and we kind of did the exact same work I was doing in my driveway but in Cantwell or at a campground in Anderson um, and we might do some more we might try to come south down towards Homer but um but one of the things that was really you know mind-blowing is that alaska is empty right like i think if they just closed off the denali highway to um to like individuals um, without any sort of passes or permits they just closed it off like this week um and now it's still people any local can get like a guiding permit and go in with their vehicles like the highways you know there's no tour buses or anything like when we got to Cantwell. We were looking for a place to sleep and the entire field by this like bar by the train, um, railroad tracks, they used to do like the Denali Bluegrass Festival in, is just empty. And they're like, oh, good, park wherever you want, you know? <laughs> um, so it's all free. So it's an, actually like an interesting time for Alaskans to utilize the state. Um, this will be, one, it's one of the few times probably, you know, that you can go to some of these places and not be like mobbed with other people in the summertime. Um, 
so the bookmobile is kind of being worked on right now and then um and then moving about as doing that i'm in the process of cleaning it out a little bit um because tomorrow there's a big protest in palmer and so the bookmobile is going to come down to the and we're going to like transport people in it um to the to the protest and then i might you know try to get make sure i have like extra water and things like that in it um for people but yeah so it's getting ready to go down there and um but otherwise yeah it's kind of like a, it's a work in progress there's a lot of little things i wanted to do to it and we're putting some solar in i got some pointers on solar from tomorrow so we're we're on our way to solar power um the radio's been interesting we're doing a lot of like radio broadcasting to like audiences of one or two <laughs> <laughs> I just want to remind our listening audience that if you have any questions, please feel free to, to chime in, unmute yourself, or um, you, know, you can type a question into the, the chat box. Could we look at some um, images? Uh, let's, tomorrow, could you share through screen share some images of what um, you know, the process, it could be some of the history or exhibits, um, the, the renovation, whatever you might like about sort of like the, uh, what's going on? How do you develop this project? All right. Um, let's see. Now, of course, mine's not working. Hmm. Okay. How about I will try to work on that while uh, while Jimmy shows some photos? Yeah, I, can, I think we had success before. Okay. Yeah. Um, screen broadcast. Why aren't you working? Hmm. It's just yeah. screen. somehow not allowing me to touch the screen button. That's not nice. I'm going to check my advanced sharing options and see. I don't think it's that. I think my screen's just hot or something. All right. I'm going to try to there. look around. I think it is. Yes. Did you see a bookmobile? Yes, we do. See, so that's Anchorage. Um, I just put a couple photos in. If people want to look at more imagery, we've been trying to put a lot of stuff up on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook um, of it traveling around. But as you can see, it's a full-size bus. It's 22 feet long. You don't see the butt end of it. And it's kind of decorated out from the 1990s, late 90s. And so we're trying to keep that appearance. Seems to be pretty effective as far as like ingratiating ourselves with people. Um, when we show up, it's got an external speaker that we realized while well, the engine's running, people can hear us. So we were able to talk to people when we were returning to Anchorage, which was nice. This is what the inside of the bookmobile looked like when it was first purchased. I mean, full of books, but so as you can see, it's got these shelves that are all at um, pretty at, a, at an angle so the books don't fall off. Um, there's benches. Um, behind where the photographs being taken from are some cabinets and a wheelchair lift so it's accessible and the wheelchair lift can lift up to 800 pounds so we can carry printing equipment or coolers of ice cream or whatever we need for any particular event um, which is nice I've started doing some remodeling I don't have any pictures of that yet but I'm kind of opening the space up and creating a little bit of a gallery space replacing the lights replacing like the 20 year old gross carpeting floor um, it's got, um, this is just kind of showing, it's got a um, 7,500 watt diesel generator, quiet diesel generator on it. 
that runs an entire electrical system. Um, so, and, and then it can also plug in and shore up to like a building or at an RV site. And now with solar as like another redundant kind of electrical system, um, it'll, it's a great um, power source for what other people want to do. Like next week, I'm going to be the sound and power for this teen um, writing group performing. They're performing to their parents and stuff and the parents will stay in the cars and I'll be able to, um, I'll be able to um, transmit what they're saying into their parents' car radios. So um, it's, and we're talking to other groups about come fall time doing movies and letting the lift kind of pick up the projector and using it to power the projector and, and send the audio to an audience. Here we are camping. So it's, um, I just put that in because it was a more recent photo, but the, the idea that we can kind of pull in and then I've been able to work on it pretty much anywhere because again, it's its own source of power. Um, so um, I can use my tools and um, I can charge things and get work done um, from you know any, this is just a pull off near Talkeet. Um, so it's a pretty versatile vehicle. Um, and those are it as far as pictures. Again, I've got, there's lots and lots of stuff that people want to deep dive into it. There's lots and lots of stuff um, on Instagram. And, and, and so people can follow you as, as, as Jimmy Reardon or as the bookmobile? Oh, it's AK, AK Bookmobile. Yeah, the um, AK Bookmobile on Instagram. And I think it's, it's also AK Bookmobile on Facebook. Um, yeah, so we try to post things, um, keep people updated um, on what's going on. And we'll probably end up using some of that social media to um, help let people know where we'll be at um, or like how the, the library ends up operating. I know there was a younger woman that, that's getting involved, Abby. She's, she was one of the people that came to one of our earlier potlucks and um, she's a little bit more hip to the, the newer social media. You know, like I, I, I haven't moved on past uh, like Facebook or Instagram, and, but she understands ways to use things like Snapchat to actually geolocate the bus. So for a younger audience that understands how to use that technology, we'll actually be able to to be able to chart the movement of the bus at some point through those sorts of apps. But, yeah. Thank you. Tamara, should we give it another go? Um, yeah, sure. I think I've got it here. Okay. Um, so this is it's uh, the, the lemonade stand in its original condition, um, right after towing it to town, two different sized tires and barely made it. And let's see. Um, all right, one second. I think I finally figured this out here. What year was the the original RV built? So it's a '65. Um, although the title says '70 three and then the the VIN number was like an 86 or something <laughs> so um, it's gone through many different many different uh, transitions as far as what it is but I think originally it was a 65 uh, uh, travel trailer <laughs> playmate so can you see this okay like the roof being peeled off oh my gosh yeah um, this is an inside originally 
so it had you know it had the works it was it was pretty cool but again totally rotten and the roof completely caving in um so it had to demo the inside down to the down to the floor in the tin and then all of those uh, one by twos were rotten as well so i ended up having to just to reframe the entire inside and the roof uh, with my assistant that's lefty uh, can you guys see the puppy <laughs> very very important <laughs> um yeah it was just a lot of ridiculous uh, work last summer a lot of fun um and learned a lot about how to build trailers um, <laughs> and this is what it looks like now from the outside with all its new shiny glory new logo and those windows that you see there are uh, false windows with leds in them so they change colors mm. and the there's a little lemon wedge in the small window that that lights up that's our open sign uh here's a winter shot just you know clear, clearing it off just don't want that new roof to collapse again um and this is from uh when when uh, Jimmy and, and Mike Conti came, he, uh, Mike was photographing a lot, so he was generous enough to share some pictures. So in the back is all the electronics. Um, so it's got it's got the six volt uh, in series, twelve volt batteries, deep cell batteries. So I, I've got a solar panel on the roof, but just in case it's cloudy or the winter and I don't have any sun, uh, it's got a inverter charger, so I can plug directly into one twenty and charge my twelve volt system. Um, and run off of that. So I've got three options. I can run off battery, I can run off direct power, direct borrowed power, and the solar panel. Initially I had designed it to run off a generator, but they're so loud and um, at least the ones that I would be able to, the small one that I could afford. And I just thought it'd be super cool to be in the woods and be totally silent and then just have this thing like glowing, you know. I just was really into that idea. So that's why I decided to go solar. And I'm really glad I did because um, turned out it was cheaper than getting a, a good generator. So I'm very happy I made that choice. And uh, and then this is from that one of those virtual shows I was talking about. And this is the, the iPad displaying work. This is the work of Lauren Carter. She's a Chicago-based artist, uh, sculptor, and just a magnificent human. And so this piece, displayed on the iPad just sitting on the floor. I really had a lot of fun doing that, manipulating the digital media inside the space. And that's what I have to share for video, for pictures. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Both. Wow. Really appreciate your preparedness, but most of all your vision, you know, in um, the kind of transformation of both the quote obsolete object and just completely committing to that object that you found and having to reconstruct it, even if it was sort of, I mean, you know, I don't know how intentional that vintage was for you, for example, or the idea that it had to be that particular kind of travel trailer, maybe was it something that you just sort of came upon and found, or were you actually looking for something really old to? Well, I, I was mostly just looking for something, uh, a certain so a single axle because so I could be able to tow it with you know without buying a large vehicle so that size kind of limits it to, to older ones but then also being able to have um, at least two flat walls to display more traditional works easier so then that so the shape kind of lend itself to the classic uh, canned ham that, that I'm in um, so yeah I didn't set out with a certain year um, but that's this is where I ended up and uh, 
I'm really excited to have the, so today we're opening for First Friday, um, despite, I mean, I sort of feel guilty doing it, but we're doing it anyway, mask is required, limited entrance. But I'm very excited to have the original owner come. Uh, he's not the kind of guy that would normally come to an art opening, and um, he's going to be completely blown away to see his his uh, storage unit um, <laughs> transformed <laughs> into a gallery. So, yeah, when I set out for this, I looked at a lot of different trailers, a lot of different vintages, um, in in many in much worse shape. Um, I've since washed my hands a million times since those, thankfully because they were some really gross trailers out there. <laughs> but but yeah, so I've always been drawn to older things. So I'm not surprised I ended up with a 60s vintage trailer. Um, I think it will go well with my, my 70s Volkswagen bus. So I can park them next to each other. We can be friends. <laughs> That's so great. I'm fascinated by how you've kind of imbued this, you know, dilapidated object with a lot of capacity. And then yeah. contrast, you know, Jimmy obtained this object that has a ton of capacity that was considered obsolete. It's just so ironic. And that thing you're projecting, you know, outward, like, like Jimmy, you're talking about being able to broadcast to people's vehicles or through the amplification system, the, the sort of megaphone that's mounted exterior to the vehicle, you know, and communicate with audiences outside. That's really quite exciting and wonderful. I'm curious to know, like, when, when you think of galleries and museums as sort of the establishment in Alaska, or anywhere, what is really lacking within that structure or convention that you really want to change or expand or overturn Excellent your practice? What is it? Do you want to go first at that, Jimmy, or do you want me to take a stab? Oh, Jimmy's muted. Oh. Sorry. Um, I don't know if there's stuff that I want to overturn about it, but I do know that um, both like the first time that I had moved back to Alaska after college um, and this last time around, I've, um, I've realized that like those spaces, there's certain things those spaces can't satisfy, at least for me. Um, and it's maybe not a deficiency in them. It just maybe it comes more down to um, like what I'm looking for in terms of types of engagement or types of feedback. Um, I think of it like specifically I had moved back from to Anchorage from living in London and then before that in New York for a while um, where like these cities where there were communities for every little niche, you know, you could not only be interested in art, but you could be interested in this specific branch of this particular type of, you know, like, like my risograph printing, a type of printing I do is called risograph. And I could spend time with only people that printed with risographs if I was in New York City still. And so I remember coming back to Alaska, getting a lot of work ready, doing a couple of shows at spaces, feeling like the response was not what I was looking for. Um, feeling a little bit disappointed with like the um, after the fact and and then sort of realizing that it was maybe not the fault of the venue or the people attending the venue but I was just like pursuing like whatever type of communication I was trying to do I was pursuing it in the wrong place and so that's when I first started doing work outside gallery spaces um, you know I did a mobile library once before on a bicycle um, for a while downtown in Anchorage and I've done 
a lot of work, like when we came down to Homer and did the searching for the sublime with the clay um, building on the beach, for instance, like being outside the gallery is not really me criticizing a gallery as much as me kind of admitting to myself that like, I don't, I don't have the same, I don't take the same enjoyment or I don't, there's, I don't get the same rewards in a sort of a selfish way um, from those spaces. Um, but um, yeah, so with the bookmobile, it's like the bookmobile is, it feels more like I'm, even if it's complete strangers, it feels more like I'm socializing with friends where I can be in these very formal spaces socializing with my friends. And I feel like I'm like having really cordial conversations with complete strangers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What do you think, Tamara? Well, as far as like the establishment in Fairbanks, um, I don't, I don't know if we really have uh, the establishment in Fairbanks. So I guess the lemonade stand sort of filling. I mean, it's it's just creating access to whatever, you know, beyond the establishment access to just art in general. Um, and what we do have here is mostly just the institution that doesn't have the same i mean it's really just from uaf from university of alaska fairbanks i mean we that their vision is not focused on south cushman or or ninana outside of fairbanks or delta um they're really only you know they're really only facilitating events for for the university and the faculty's families i mean i don't, I don't want to sound too bitter but there's like this really huge gap between Who's who's viewing art and who lives in Fairbanks? Um, they're very separate. So maybe if people in Fairbanks saw themselves represented in the in this in galleries or you know this tiny little art space, they'd be more interested in what was going on in it. Um, and also, you know, being able to bring to bring that space to where people are. You know, in Fairbanks we don't have the museum, so there's not this this need to like break down the um, intimidation of it. We do have the Museum of the North, forgive me for that, but we don't have you know, museums that, that only focus on art. Um, so, so I think if I could just bring this space into, into different communities, that that would fill that, that void that we have here. But establishments in general, I mean, I guess, like selfishly for myself, as an installation artist, I'm always looking for spaces to be able to do to do work, and so installation always lends itself to more nonprofit spaces, which would be more museum spaces and uh, and less galleries because it's hard to sell an installation. And um, and I mean, I would short for maybe like cutting off a limb. I would pretty much do anything, right? To 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 have a big museum show, I would I would uh, you know give up other opportunities, walk away from stuff. It's not sustainable. Like I can't, I can't do that. I can't just like walk away from everything to do to be able to do installation art. So having a space that's sustainable where people could do immersive work without having to like walk away from their daily life, you know, that's for me. That's I guess the the disconnect that the establishment like it it has. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, there's a built-in kind of distance between yeah. the, the establishment and the daily life, and you're, you've got something that you can inhabit probably on a daily basis. 
yeah, and I could, you know, I could bring it to an elementary school and stick it in the parking lot, and all of a sudden there's this tiny, however you want to it, view it, whether it's a, a small stage or a, just a small safe place, or if it's a small gallery, however you, you need to see it for that, for that use. And it's not, um, you don't have to remove people from their environment to be able to view the work. You can just bring it to them. So it, it's, it's more relatable, I guess. It's more, it's more accessible for sure. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder to any of our listeners, if you have a question, please, please jump in. I'm, um, as we're kind of winding up the hour, there's a, a question that's really um, important to me, you know, thinking about strengthening this field, strengthening this sector. Um, I'm just curious to know what you each feel would really make Alaska a better, stronger place for artists to thrive. What else do you want to see happening? What's the Alaska that you picture, um, you know, ideally within the next, say, five to 10 years? What comes to be? Uh, for myself, it's, um, it's just more. Like, I, I think what Alaska needs is just more, more of everything, more representation of diversity um, that's so present in Alaska. So there'd be more, you know, representation within the, within the gallery space, more access to the arts for those, you know, who don't have the luxury of, uh, of living in a community with art establishments, more art in the schools, more connection to art outside of Alaska. I mean, I can really only speak to my own experience, uh, of course, in Fairbanks, both within the music and art community. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, Fairbanks is extremely supportive of the arts. And, uh, and if we could just get more exposure to art that's not just Fairbanks and more exposure to the vast, vast diversity that is in Fairbanks and outside of Fairbanks, they would extend that enthusiasm that they have to, to you know, for, for more art, more opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thanks. What do you think, Jimmy? I can, um, yeah, I mean, I, do, I would say that I agree more would be better. And I think one of the things that kind of help or one of those things that makes it difficult for us to have more for people to stick around and to show is like, you know, we both talk about like the affordability of these projects, the lack of overhead in a space that you don't pay rent on. Um, I think that um, like a more like a, in a general sense, if Alaska was more affordable, um, if space was more affordable, if food was more affordable, if like, like I split my time between Anchorage and Bethel and Bethel has no art scene. And it's because there's no one can afford space, right? Like a single room in a dilapidated little house is like thousand dollars a month plus utilities, right? So nobody's gonna then spend like $3,000 on top of that to have like a, a private space for showing work. I mean, there's not even coffee shops or um, like spaces for people to meet outside of their work and their home, except for like the grocery store, right? So like, and that's an extreme case in a community like that, but in Anchorage, it's the same thing. Um, artists are constantly moving from one venue or one studio to another in search of something affordable. And when you find something affordable, um, you find yourself evicted from it soon afterwards. 
you don't have any stability. Those spaces don't exist for more than a year or two. Um, so I think, and then you get people that move up here and they, they can't support themselves and do, and have a creative pursuit. So they leave again, right? Like, I think there's just a lack of affordability in this place and um, nothing's going to like take root in a really long-term meaningful way. You can't, you know, like people can't afford anything outside of just like basic survival. So I think it really comes down to affordable. I'm also cooking at housing is like doubling my rent. So I have to move out of my studio. So like, it's like, they're actually quadrupling. But, um, so, but it's constant. Like this is regular. I've been there about a year and a half. The place before that, I was there about six, seven months. The place before that, I was for a year. You know. So anyway, so I think that affordability has been on my mind between like my experience in Bethel, which is a wonderful place, but it does have a lack of those sort of like secondary spaces. And then my experience in Anchorage as a working artist, where like the overhead for my work is very, very low. So what seems very minimal to someone within a different industry is sort of like make or break it um, for me. So yeah, affordability. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. Wow. You guys have given us a lot to think about. If anybody has a question, please jump in here. I find myself veering very far off uh, the sort of course of questions that I envision just as I kind of really get swept into the um, perspectives that you two offer. Do you have a question for each other? Does any? Uh -oh. <laughs> have you uh, have you figured out what all the knobs do on the uh, transmitter yet? <laughs> <laughs> I I know what they do. I just can't I can't like dial them in. Um, they're missing. I know what the knobs do, but the the parts on top of the knobs. So I can dial into any FM station, but the parts on the knobs that show you where they're pointing, you know, is missing. And the knob turns three sixty. It just keeps going round and round. So I never know where on the knob I am. So, but I, we're getting in better. I think it's the trees down by. So we tried to transmit. We got about a half a mile from Tamara's place. But I think it's the trees that were blocking the transmission. Mm, All those big yeah. trees. Yeah. That, that was Jess Pena's excuse. She says she gets really bad Wi-Fi because of the, all the trees around their house. But. Yeah, we're definitely lacking in, maybe it's just Fairbanks who's sucking the transmission of everything. There's very gotten, little internet. <laughs> we've gotten up to five miles here in Anchorage, which is good. Cool. That yeah. Good. I don't know, when's your residency going to open? That's my question. Uh, 2022 is what I put on my website. So got the, now I got to <laughs> do it. <laughs> you should see, I mean, um, tomorrow's space is really, um, it's sort of mind-boggling. If you can get down the driveway, um, <laughs> it's a magical kind of wonderland down there. Yeah, I uh, I plan to start building the the resident hut next next summer. So hopefully by 2022, you can show up with a tent or a bookmobile. And you'll have yeah. But <laughs> yeah, wow. That's really fantastic. It's been so wonderful to speak with you two today. Um, in spite of the adversity, you know, issues of affordability and accessibility in Alaska, you remind all of us, I think you certainly remind me what we, what we love so much about this place. And it, to me, it's really the people. It's that tenacity and imagination and the ambition that you represent in these projects that you do. So thank you.
Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Jimmy and Tamara. And um, we look forward to checking back in. Maybe we can get a um, walk down into Wonderland uh, soon in your neighborhood, Tamara. And uh, Jimmy, yeah. I'm really curious to, to get on that bus. Well, we'll get down to Homer. <laughs> and now that I know Fairbanks, Fairbanks isn't that far. I don't know why I've always seen Fairbanks as like a different country as well. Mm. I can count the number of times <laughs> I've been to Fairbanks on one hand, you know? And it seems so strange because you're not actually that far away. No, it's not that long of a drive. Although I kind of have the same, like Anchorage is close, but I would never stop there because I'm afraid of Anchorage. So, so we can uh, help, we can help fix that issue for each yeah, other. Yeah. We'll, we'll meet halfway in Cantwell. We'll use that field with the yes. stage for the Denali Music Festival. Yeah. Cantwell, like Mobile Art Fest 2020. Yeah. Very good. Perfect. Maybe 21 after, post, post-corona. Post-corona? Post-corona. Okay. <laughs> That sounds great. I want to be there. I'm sure we all do. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much.